very thing. This is the highest calling of our lives. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to open it with me. And I want to invite you into a series we've been in, whether you're here for the first time or if you've been trekking with us for the last two weeks. We're in a series I'm calling Saints. And the idea of this series is that we can understand who it is that God's called us to be as the people of God. Several things we've come to understand over the last few weeks. First and foremost, saints are saved people. I know for some people that's, that's astounding because they thought saints were dead people. But every use of saints in the word of God is speaking of people that are alive on the earth that are following God. So saints are saved people. Secondly, we talked about the reality that saints are sanctified. Now, that's a good Bible word, but it just means set apart. It means that you and I understand that God has a purpose for our lives, that we're sanctified, that, that we're becoming more and more like Christ. We're not saints because we're perfect. Nobody's already you know, received a, a halo or has an angelic glow. Uh, if, if you have an angelic glow this morning, let us know what product you're using. Um, because that's not what makes us saints. What makes us saints is the fact that we are moving towards Christ's likeness in our lives. He set us apart for a purpose. And then last week we talked about the reality that saints are seekers. We have access to the very throne of God through the name of Jesus. Jesus said, you can pray to the Father in my name. And you'll have those things that you ask for when you pray. And so we talked last week about the reality that the earth is shaped and shaken by the prayers of the saints. Your prayers are powerful and effective. I want to talk for a few moments today about something else that is true of the saints of God. Saints are singers. Have you noticed? Maybe you wondered this morning, why do they sing so much? You know, we, we get together Sunday morning, everybody's singing, and then I preach for a little while, and then we we all start singing again, and maybe you've wondered that. Why do the church, why does the church sing so much? Well, let me, let me give you a word out of Psalm chapter 30 and verse 4 as a launch point into this thought. The word of the Lord says, sing praises to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. How many of you know we're here this morning to remember his holy name? We're here to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus. And the word of God says the, the appropriate response of the saints who gather to remember the name of Jesus is to sing praises to the Lord. If you're a note taker, I'm going to just say three things about why we sing. Now, let me just say right up front, this is not an exhaustive list. This could have been a series within a series. I went down a wormhole this week in my study and realized I can't preach for 12 weeks about saints. So I'm going to have to just taper it down to three. I'm going to give you three reasons why we sing. Number one, if you're writing this down, we sing to obey. That's right. We sing to obey. God commands it in his word. Now, now, before we go too far into this, let me just kind of probe a little bit at the question as to why God cares about your singing and my singing. And let me just say, if, if your singing this morning is nothing more than you moving your lips and your vocal cords making sounds and you forming words into sentences, if that's all this is today, can I just be honest with you? God doesn't really care about your singing. You, you need to know that. You need to know that... that Jesus is looking this morning 
at the heart of the worshiper more than the lyrics on the screen. God communicates in his word in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So you got to get this before we jump into why we sing. If you think this message is merely human rules being taught about how you should act in church, you've missed the whole point. So I'm preaching this with an assumption. This is week three of the series. My assumption is this, you're a saint. My assumption is you understand that saints are saved people, people whose lives have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You understand that saints are sanctified, that we're becoming all that God has for us and that he set us apart for service in his kingdom. You're a saint this morning and you know that, that we're to seek the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And so because we're all of those things, saints are singers. But why do we sing? Psalm 96, verse 1 and 2 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim salvation day after day. Psalm 47, 6 says, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing Praises. Some people wonder why we sing repetitive songs in the church. Have you read the Bible? Listen, I just gave you seven commands in three scriptures to sing. In reality, there's over 400 verses in the Word of God about singing, and there's 50 direct commands for the people of God to lift their voice in song. The biggest book in the Bible is a songbook. I don't know if you knew this, but God actually likes singing. I don't don't just mean he likes when you sing. I mean God actually likes singing. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 tells us, The Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He'll take great delight in you and in his love He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Literally, that could be translated with loud singing. And let me just say, I love that this verse that talks about the Lord rejoicing over us with singing also describes him as the mighty warrior who saves you. I think that's a healthy mental picture of what singing in church ought to look like. Because let's be honest, guys, men, usually the pushback on singing in church comes from us, right? Usually, I mean, if there's a group in the crowd that's not really into singing so much, it's the guys. Like, ah, that's, that's kind of the ladies thing, you know, let them, let them sing, we'll just kind of stand. I don't know, maybe Phil will give me a, a job in the back so I can just kind of watch, you know. But the Lord, the mighty warrior, rejoices over you with singing. Can I just remind you, Jesus was a man's man. 
Jesus was a man's man. And yet on the night that he was going to be betrayed, just before he went to the place where he would be arrested, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Of all the things that Jesus could have done on that night as he prepared to face the cross, he decided what would be appropriate in this moment is that we all sing a hymn together. What's even more astounding than that is several hours later as Jesus is hanging on the cross, being crucified, bearing the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, he had a song on his mind and on his lips. He began to sing from the psalm book. He began to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Psalm 22. And the 21st verse, 22nd verse of that psalm says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. So Jesus, the exact image of God, is singing at the lowest moment of his life. Jesus is the exact image of God. God the Father sings. So it shouldn't surprise us that God delights in the praises of his people. The word says he inhabits the praises. In other words, God lives in this moment. In the moment that we gather together as a congregation or you by yourself in your home or in your car begin to lift up a song to the Lord, the Bible says that's the place where his presence dwells. He shows up in our singing. I know a lot of people would say, yeah, but there's a lot of ways to praise God. You know, I, I, can, I can praise God, you know, just by, by just journaling. I, I can praise God by, you know, painting a picture. I can, I can praise God just by quiet contemplation. And I would say, you're right. Those are all great ways, and there's many more, and you should try them all. But know this, we don't sing because it's our thing. We sing because it's God's thing. He determines who we worship, and he determines how we worship. By definition, that's what makes him God. See, he said in the word, let us make man in our own image. And then we've returned the favor. Many of us have now made God in our own image. But he decides who is worshiped, and he determines how he's worshiped. So I want to show you a verse in Hebrews chapter 13 that, that tells us how God prescribes worship in the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. What is that? The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Now, I don't have time to unpack the whole chapter, but that word, therefore, Whenever you see the word therefore in a scripture, you ought to read the verses before it so you can figure out what it's there for. See, that's, that's what therefore means. And what had just happened before that is he was explaining how in the old covenant, the priest would come before the Lord with sacrifices that would be laid on the altar. And those sacrifices, their blood was poured out on the altar, but the carcass of those sacrifices was drug outside the city. And he said in the same way, Jesus was taken outside the city to die for our sins. And so we don't have to come in the old covenant and put an offering on the altar that is the fruit of our fields, but we come with the fruit of our lips in the new covenant, and we lift up a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Amen. 
So he says, this, this is what it looks like. When, when the smoke from the altar is rising, when the Lord is receiving your worship and, and giving grace and forgiveness for your sins, what are we offering on that altar? He says, in the new covenant, in the church, I want you to lift up the fruit of your lips. I want you to open up your mouth. I want you to give God praise. It's a sacrifice to the Lord. See, some people think we just sing because, like, oh, well, that's just the way this church is. I went to a church one time, and they didn't sing. Listen, we don't sing because it's church culture. We sing because it's biblical. That's why we sing. By the way, that's also true of why we lift our hands. Maybe you've wondered, why, why do they do that? Why is everybody Because the Bible says, lift up your hands unto the Lord. Paul said to Timothy, I wish men everywhere would lift up holy hands without anger, without doubt. So we lift up our hands to the Lord and say, God, I, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not, I'm not rioting here. I'm not lifting my hands in accusation. I'm lifting my hands in surrender. God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doubting. I'm not throwing up my hands in confusion. Lord, I'm, I'm lifting up my hands as a statement of victory. I'm lifting up my hands to declare. It's why we clap, too, by the way. You know, the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Some people say, I don't know why they shout in that church. Because the Bible says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I'm just going to keep throwing out psalms until somebody helps me preach this morning. Like, I got a bunch of them, like... Like, I'm just going to go for a while. All right, just making sure you're with me. It's why we do what we do. It's not about culture. It's about being biblical. Listen, if you're a person that stands back and you're just not expressive in worship, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to challenge you today. I'm challenging you. Some people say, well, I, I just didn't grow up like that. You know, that's not the way they did it in the church I grew up in. In our tradition, you know, it was much more reserved. In our tradition, you know, we, we just stood still. We didn't act, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't draw attention to ourselves. And what I want to say to you is, that's fine, there's lots of church traditions, but if that's your church tradition, that's a learned culture. That's actually not in the Bible. A lot of people, oh, I just worship God from my heart. You'd be hard-pressed to find an example in the Scripture of somebody just worshiping the Lord from their heart. I can tell you all day about people that lifted their voice, clapped their hands, danced to the Lord, shouted out loud, celebrated. So it's a learned culture if you're reserved in worship, but it's a biblical culture if you open up your mouth and give God the sacrifice of praise. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. So if the, if the heart of worship is right, if there is sincerity in the house of the saints, there will be an outward manifestation of that. There will be an expression that surfaces in your life. We worship, we sing, we shout, we dance, we clap our hands. Why? Because God commanded it. It's how he said I'm worshiped. Secondly, you need to know this today. We sing to remember. To remember. As much as I would love to think that, you know, you're all going to go home and talk about my three-point sermon and, you know, six months from now, you're going to remember everything that I said. I know that's not true. I know the reality is that the doctrine we sing is the doctrine we remember. New Testament scholar and theologian Gordon Fee said, show me a church's songs 
and I'll show you their theology. Studies have been done about the impact that music and lyrics has on the human brain. In the book, Musicophilia, Oliver Sacks wrote, every culture has songs and rhymes to help children learn the alphabet, numbers, and other lists. And even as adults, we are limited in our ability to memorize series or to hold them in mind unless we use a mnemonic device or patterns. And the most powerful of these devices are rhyme, meter, and song. We've seen this in Alzheimer's patients. People in later stages who can't even remember the name of their wife or their children, and yet with total recall, they can sing songs they learned in preschool. Why is that? It's that way because the musical elements of rhythm and meter and rhyme They govern and they restrict the way that we say the words and the time that it takes to say the words. And the more unique it is, the more repetitive it is, the more immediately impacting that the musical elements are, the easier it is for us to remember it. And as much as you would hate to remember that jingle you heard on the radio, you remember. You think maybe God designed us that way? I mean, just, just by chance, do you think that there was some intentionality behind this? I want to show you in the word, that's exactly why God made us that way. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. I want you to see a conversation that plays out here between God and Moses and Joshua. I, I, loved, I loved this moment. I was reading this this week, and you know, I've read this before, but something stood out to me as I was meditating on the way the saints respond to the presence of God. In this moment, Moses goes before the Lord And the Lord tells him, I want you to bring Joshua and come into my presence. So they go to the tent of meeting and they're standing in the doorway and the cloud of God's presence comes down. Pick it up with me in Deuteronomy 34, 16. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors. That's a really nice way of saying, Moses, you're about to die. Like just, just helping you read between the lines today. It's funny how many people, you know, say like, oh, I just wish God would speak to me. Like, do you? Maybe you don't want to know, you know? Maybe ignorance is bliss. Moses shows up in the presence of the Lord. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. Well, you're about to die, son. It says, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they're entering. They'll forsake me, God says, and they'll break the covenant that I made with them. And that in that day, I will become angry with them, and I'll forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. How many of you would agree that the conversation's not going great at this moment? God keeps speaking. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and on that day, they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. What do you do do with a word from God like that? Like, if you've got a word like that today, save it. Okay, like, I don't want that word. Like, what do you do do with a word from God like that? Like, you're going to die 
And when you're gone, all these people you've been leading for the last 40 years, they're gonna prostitute themselves to other gods. They're gonna forsake me, and I'm gonna get angry about it. I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna send calamity. I'm gonna send disaster. And Joshua, he's like next man up. He's just standing there like backing out of the tent of meeting. Like, what? <laughs> what, what do you do with that? But God's not done. Look at, of all the things that could come out of the mouth of God next, look at what it says, verse 19. God says, now, write down this song. What? (laughs) Write down a song? He says, keep up with me here, guys. Write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and they thrive and they turn to the other gods and they worship and they reject me by breaking my covenant, and when many disasters and calamities come on them, look at this, this song will testify against them. In this moment, God's saying, I I know the proclivity of their hearts. They're going to walk away. They're going to forsake me. He knows yours too, by the way. You're going to rebel against me. There's going to be a moment in your life where you're not listening to the voice of my Holy Spirit. You're not listening to the sermons your pastor's preaching. Your Bible's collecting dust on your bedside table. And in those moments, you're going to know a song. You're going to have a worship song that's stuck in your head, and it's going to communicate a better truth than the one you're believing. You're going to remember who I really am because of the melody and the rhythm that you rehearsed in the house of the Lord. And God is saying in this moment, what they're going to need there is a song of remembrance. Can I tell you, it's no different for us. In the moments of our life when we're we're prone to wonder, in the moments of our life where we're tempted to to, to forget that, that, that salvation is our anchor. All of a sudden, we think about an old song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I go, oh man, that's right. God saved me with his grace. Whenever the enemy wants to all of a sudden start bringing uh, discouragement and defeat, and I start feeling just downtrodden and, and, and a little bit heavy in my spirit, all of a sudden I can start thinking about songs like the one we sang this morning. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captive. You break every chain. Oh, God, you've done great things. And all of a sudden my mind changes. I start thinking about who he is and what he has done for me. In the moments when Satan just wants to, you know, throw your past back in your face, remind you of all the mistakes you've made and all the reasons that you shouldn't show up in his house and give God praise, all of a sudden a song wells up inside of you like the one we sang earlier. You start singing, death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, you silenced the boast of sin and grave the heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again what a powerful name and all of a sudden your 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 mind shifts your thought changes and God says to 
Moses, he says, I know, I know their heart. I know their hearts are prone to wander. So I need you to give them a song. Because the song will help them remember. You remember when Paul and Silas in Acts 16 were in the prison? They had been beaten. They were flogged. The same way Jesus was flogged with the cat of nine tails. They were flogged. They were put in the inner cell of the prison and their feet were locked in the stocks. And the Bible says in about verse 25 of Acts 16, at midnight, Paul and Silas began lifting up their voices in praise to God. Right. Don't you think in that moment, like God would have been understanding if they had just, you know, had a moment of quiet contemplation, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, they've just been beaten for the name of Jesus, you know. Would have been okay if they had just like whispered a little low-tone prayer in that moment. The reality is God would have accepted that offering of worship. They didn't sing that song because God needed to hear it. They sang it because they needed to remember. Maybe they didn't have the words in that moment under that kind of pressure and in that kind of pain to be able to articulate their theology. But they had a song in their memory bank that reminded them of God's faithfulness. And when they could do nothing else in that moment, they began to just rehearse the goodness of God. They began to just sing. Not only did they sing, but the Bible says all of the prisoners in the prison heard them singing praises to God. Can I just say, if you can't find a song of praise in the sanctuary, you'll never find it in your prison. You'll never, you'll never find it in the midnight hour. You'll never find it when your body's racked with pain, when you're under persecution, when you don't know what tomorrow holds. You've got to come into the house of God and lift up a sacrifice of praise. Let me give you the third reason that we sing. We sing to obey. We sing to remember, but we also sing to declare. I want to invite the praise team to come back because that makes people think I'm almost done. You might as well tell the truth today. Psalm 95 verse 1 says this, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Can I tell you, we, we have something to declare. The saints are victorious. The saints are victorious. That's a settled issue. We win. I don't know if you read the back of the book, but we win. Amen. So the saints sing because we have something to declare. Thank you. I was talking with Pastor Chris uh, last week, and we, we, we realized we both have the same struggle. Our struggle is we don't know how to keep quiet on the sideline at our kids' sporting events. Apparently, other people are bothered by our passion. I'm not at all bothered by passion. And I'm more than a little competitive. So I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout from the sideline, okay? That's just that's who I am. I can handle that. Here's what I can't handle. I can't handle the people that come to church that say, well, you know, I just, I'm, I'm more reserved. I, I'm, I'm not really a singer. And then you get out to the football game and you see them. They're on the jumbotron. Their face is painted. And they're going, fly, eagles, fly. E-A-G-L-E-S, eagles. And then you come in the house of God and it's like, nah. 
<laughs> People walk into the house of God and say, I, I don't really have a good voice. And then you show up at a birthday party. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Right? Singing's not really my thing. And then they start playing the national anthem. Oh, say can you. We all just join right in. Listen, we don't sing because it's our thing. We sing because it's God's thing. And can I just remind somebody today, we have a song to sing. God has won more victories for you than any of your favorite teams ever could. God has done more for you than any birthday or nation that you would celebrate. He's worthy of a song. He's worthy of a song. He deserves your praise today. And when you worship God, it actually affects other people. It's not just that God wants you to sing or that you need to sing to remember. Your singing actually affects the atmosphere. Let me give you one more verse in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church and he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How do we do that? Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I love that part about gratitude because some of you, I've seen your worship face, it's scary. (laughs) Sing with gratitude, he says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. And, And he said, what happens is we admonish one another. When we do, that word admonish means to urge one another. The same way that Paul needed Silas to join him in the course in the, in the prison at midnight. And all of a sudden, it says all the other prisoners heard them singing praise to God. And then the power of God came in that place. And, and the prison doors were open and the chains fell off. But guess what? They didn't just fall off Paul and Silas. It says all the prison doors were open and all the chains fell off. Somebody that's sitting three rows behind you needs to be let loose today by your praise. Your praise matters in the house of God. It changes the atmosphere in the room. I'm going to let you guess how we're going to end this service. Would you stand with me all over this room? We're not going to have a moment of quiet contemplation. We're not going to have a closing benediction. We're going to sing to the Lord. Not because, listen, the question is not do you have a good voice? The question is, do you have a good song? And I'm going to tell you, the saints are the only ones on heaven or earth that have the song of the redeemed. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So you have a song worth singing. And, and here's, here's, here's where a lot of us struggle. This is like the, this is the barricade that keeps us from entering in. You come into God's presence and you look around and you see other people singing and worshiping. And you look at the words that are on the screen. And before those words can even form on your lips, 
you start to feel hypocritical. Because I know what that says, and I know who God is, but I also know me. I know what's going on in my life. I know the other words I've said this week. I, I know the thoughts that I've had. And you can, you can disqualify your offering before it ever lands on the altar. You can convince yourself that God doesn't want the fruit of your lips. And, and if that's you today, I, I just got to tell you, that's why it's so vitally important that we understand what it means to be the saints. Because the saints are not perfect people. The saints are the living, redeemed, blood-washed children of the Most High God. Amen. That's who we are. His grace is sufficient to not only cover our sins, but to qualify our offering. And we come today not because of who we are, but because of who He is. So it's not about if you have a good voice, and it's not about if you're worthy. It's do you have a good song? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted Him to be your Lord? Have you trusted Him to forgive your sins through the finished work of redemption at the cross? And if you have, I want to promise you, you have the greatest song that can be sung. The only people that Jesus gave His life's blood for was the saints of Jesus Christ. And you have a song to sing today. So if you're not a saint, get saved. Give your heart and your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to just lead us in this song.